Less than two weeks until the Celtics report to training camp, and the New England sports fan base is more than ready for basketball season to start. But is Malcolm Brogdon ready to return to the team that tried to trade him? A Patriots fan dies at Foxborough after a fight in the stands. We discuss the rare but chilling phenomena of fan violence. And which team would win, the current version of the Celtics or the 2008 championship team? We answer these questions and many more inside Lucky's Lounge. Next, let's go. Welcome back to Lucky's Lounge, everybody. Captain Ron Flanders here, joined by Guillermo Diaz. Guillermo, 12 days until training camp opens up at the Auerbach Center. And I got to tell you, after the Sox lost 15-5 to yesterday, the Patriots 0-2, most of New England cannot wait for basketball and hockey. And, and really, all I care about is Celtics. Oh, boy, yes. I am ready for the NBA season to start. I am ready for the Celtics to put it all together on the hardwood. And, uh, yeah, let's get the season started. I can't wait. It seems like the Celtics cannot wait for it to start because a lot of faces have been seen going into the Auerbach Center. We've seen Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum working out with Paul Pierce. They have been inside the facilities. During this segment, we're going to update you on some new roster moves. But let's start with our tweet of the week because not only do we have Celtics getting in there and lifting the iron, but we also have some happy times this offseason. Our tweet of the week is not really a tweet. It's an IG post from none other than Jalen Brown, who tweeted out, my brother for life. And there was a picture of a rather suave-looking Marcus Smart at his wedding. I guess he was walking down the aisle there. Jalen was in the front row. And Jalen, who has that incredible smile and laugh, uh, especially when he's around number 36, was so happy for his brother and his teammate, Marcus Smart, who got married. And a lot of Celtics were in attendance, Guillermo. Yeah, it was awesome to see a lot of guys uh, there in attendance supporting Marcus Smart, your boy, our boy. I loved Marcus as well and uh, happy for that man to tie the knot. And looks like through some of the pictures we got to see, everybody was there and that had a good time. Yeah, the picture that is the most epic of the entire affair, I thought, was a photo of Jason Tatum with a big cheesy grin bookended <laughs> by his head coach and his general manager. Joe Mazzulla with kind of a goofy looking smile, but Brad Stevens with the Sonny Corleone boss look. Uh, I think we're going to be seeing that photo again in the future if this season turns out like we think it could, Brad Stevens looking like the boss in that wedding, Guillermo. Hey, I already want that shirt on a uh, – sorry, I already want that picture on a T-shirt. I want to rock it to the Celtics game. I mean, what an epic picture with those three on there. One guy that I don't know if he was in attendance or not, I did not see him, I was not invited to the wedding, <laughs> uh, was uh, none other than Malcolm Brogdon, who – is one of the heir apparents to the point guard position for the Celtics. Derek White, it has been announced, will be the starting point guard. We're all excited about that. But the NBA's sixth man of the year, who had a phenomenal first season in green, well, there's been a lot of speculation that he is very unhappy with the Celtics. We had Gary Washburn of the Globe the other day saying he thinks there could be a problem, that he has been incommunicado and 
there could be something going on with Malcolm Brogdon. Sometimes no news is good news, but I haven't seen any reports of him at the facility. What is going on with Malcolm Brogdon? And and if nobody knows, could this be a bad thing? I mean, the guy is a true professional. Yeah, I would expect uh, for him to be in communication with those guys. At least let him know where he stands at the moment. Or, I mean, sixth man of the year, somebody who's very intelligent and professional in his demeanor. I still want him to be a Celtic. I want him to be out there, especially with moving on from Marcus Smart. We need that point guard depth. And I just truly hope he's committed to this season like everyone else has shown. It's difficult to understand the feelings involved in a situation like this, unless you've had it happen to you, right? I mean, have you ever worked for a boss that you know tried to get rid of you? Uh, Remember Ray Allen. Ray Allen, one of the most professional players in Celtic history, the always the first guy to practice, would show up on game days hours before everybody else, a consummate professional. And yet, when he learned that Danny Ainge had tried to trade him, I think he held a grudge against the Celtics. And at that point, he said, listen, I have to look out for myself. And he did the unthinkable going down to the hated heat and, and joining the Heatles down in South Beach. So if Ray Allen could do that, a guy who was part of the family with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, I mean, just think about that. To hear that they tried to move you, I guess anybody could could be hurt enough to hold a grudge. Do you think? Yeah, but I think he should be better than that. I, I get the whole aspect behind the trade that didn't go through, but this is the nature of the business you work in. And yeah, I may have worked with the boss that didn't like me, but I still put in the work day in and day out. And guess who's still there? Me and not the, that boss, right? So... I think you just take it and be a professional. You know what happened. You sit down with the team, the coaches. You want to make sure you're going to be part of it going forward. And what Ray did, remember Kevin Garnett didn't talk to him for a long time. So, yeah, the trade rumors were there with, I believe, the Memphis Grizzlies at the time. Yeah, OJ Mayo. But you stayed with the team. And you knew those guys wanted you back for another run to continue to, you know, be at the top in the East because they only had a year or so left. And you left them high and dry when you should have been there. And I get it. You went and you won a ring, but it would have meant more for you to stay there with the guys that wanted you there. I get they had the clout to say we need Ray back and we want to want to keep him and not trade him. Yeah, he, he did. And and many people in Boston, myself included, have not forgiven him for that. Uh, Kevin Garnett, at his Jersey retirement ceremony, buried the hatchet. I was yeah. there. I saw him do that. The three of them hugged. It was a, a big three group hug there. And so KG forgot that, but Boston Celtic fans never did, or at least a significant portion of them. I, I, I'm not big enough to have forgiven Ray Allen. How about you? Oh man, you put me on the spot. Yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say I forgive him, especially again. It's in the past. He, 
what happened happened. He helped us win the 2008 ring, and we haven't won the ring since. So I forgive him. I mean, just like you said, the team tried to trade him. He did what's best for him. At the end of the day, he's happy with his life, and I'm proud of him. Well, let's try to look at the positives here in this Brogdon situation. And and I don't know if the president listens to Lucky Lounge, Lucky's Lounge or not. If I was an NBA player, I wouldn't listen to any podcast, and I would stay off Twitter. But But the positives from his standpoint, first of all, I believe he has a very strong relationship with Jalen Brown. And Mm -hmm. I, I got to think that being part of this current Celtic group of guys is probably a really cool thing. I mean, for a player like Malcolm Brogdon, you know, he wants to be on a veteran laden team and he wants to compete for championships. So I think Boston's a pretty good place to be. Then you throw in the fact that you're playing for a coach in Joe Missoula whose style of play seems to really fit Malcolm Brogdon's. I mean, think of the type of player that Joe Missoula was. And I think that when he played at the University of Virginia, Brogdon was very similar, a very hard-nosed, tough-minded point guard who, by the way, loves the three-point shot. And Malcolm Brogdon has carte blanche authority to launch. So if he can get over his feelings right now, this is still the perfect situation for Malcolm Brogdon, is it not? Oh, definitely it is. Like like you said, he has a great relationship with Brown. He even said it in the interview on Showtime with KG when him and Pierce came to visit the facility. I think that's one of the guys they kind of spoke to first in the interview. And he really liked the atmosphere that the Boston Celtics team brung. He saw the banners. He wants to win a championship. And this is the best situation for him. Well, we both agree on that point, but we'll have to just wait and see in 12 days what happens during training camp. And of course, during media day, we'll hear from Malcolm Brogdon. And and uh, it's never easy for any player. We acknowledge that when you find out that you were nearly traded. I mean, look, the Celtics had an embarrassment of riches at the ball handling position last season with Smart, White, and Brogdon. And as we've talked about in the past, there were just too many players and not enough minutes to go around. The trade did solve that in in a sense, but let's just pretend for a second that Brogdon is not there. Now you do have a little issue perhaps at the point guard position. And whether you have Brogdon or not, you just traded away your best playmaker. What do the Celtics do now? There has been whispers around the league this week that the Celtics are finally planning to use Jason Tatum at the point guard position in a more former role, formal role. Brad Stevens has talked about this for years, that Jason Tatum can do this, and he has done this in stretches. In the playoffs and other times, he has been the guy bringing the ball up the floor. But this, to me, Guillermo, sounds like Jason Tatum could be the primary ball handler for stretches of games. How do you feel about that? I love it. I love it. I think it gives them opportunities for different motions when it comes to offense. And I think he's gotten a lot better as a passer. We saw in the finals when he was getting double teamed, he was lose lose the ball and not know when to make those decisions. But the next year after that, when it happened versus the Nets, he was dominating any double teams, whether playing off of his team or just allowing his team to play off of the double team that the defense had to provide against him. So I, I think it's wonderful. I think 
we we're going to need another person to start to set up the offense at times when White's on the bench or Brogdon's on the bench or if there's injuries that may happen. I think it makes our offense that much better because we can put Brogdon or White in spot of shooting situations and hopefully him and Porzingis can have a two-man game like him and uh, Time Lord have. He loves playing with Time Lord and watching them go back and forth with the pick and roll. It's amazing. He has a knack for finding him in those alley-oop positions. Jason Tatum, I think if there's a knock on him as an offensive player, it's probably efficiency from a shooting standpoint. His shot selection from the three-point line wasn't great. If the ball is in his hands and he's drawing more defensive players and you have another weapon in Porzingis, then I think the ground is fertile for Tatum to improve as a playmaker, just like he's improved everywhere else. Everybody mm-hmm. is anticipating a breakout season from Jason Tatum. And in a sense, it's kind of a contract year for him. We don't need him to average 30 points a game. We need the Celtics to be able to score in the playoffs and late down the stretch in, in you know deep in the playoffs against teams like Miami, against teams like Philadelphia. We've had problems. And so Tatum being a ball handler and a facilitator, if he can do it, it unlocks that for us, I think. Yeah, I mean, it showed against Game 7. I know we lost him on the first play, but that's 30, let's just say 30 points per game that we couldn't provide, like we couldn't find it anywhere else. So having Porzingis to be able to put up 20 or so a game, that's another score that we needed with consistency. So having Tatum bring up the ball and be able to, Move it to Brown or Porzingis, two players that can get their bucket. It's just going to be that much better of an offense. The other option at point guard might be to sign another player. The Celtics have arguably two point guards down in Maine on two-way contracts in Scrub and Davison. And they just signed another player to a two-way contract. We'll get to that in a second. But they still have one guaranteed roster spot still open. And one guy that appears to be pining for that spot and and talking an awful lot about the Celtics on his podcast is Austin Rivers. And we've been talking about this guy for the last couple months. I have decided that I'm done talking about him, but uh, I just brought him up. (laughs) (laughs) Does Austin Rivers fit your fancy as a backup point guard? Oh man. I know I've said I've wanted him in the past when we brought it up. I just, as we get closer to training camp, you know, we have Pritchard still on a contract year. We have Banton, who also plays point guard. We did sign V, who can play two guard and also small forward. So, I mean, again, I trust Brad. I know they've had the conversations. It just, is he going to accept a role where he's may get DNPs some nights? I think the biggest aspect is is Brogdon with the team or not. If we don't have Brogdon, let's get another point guard potentially like Austin. But if Brogdon is here with Pritchard and Banton, I'm okay with you know still looking for an extra big or keeping that spot open. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you there. Keep it open and, and remain flexible. At this point, that's where I am. 
Celtics did make a signing this past week, and it's intriguing, Guillermo. You know, there was a lot of talk about Blake Griffin. Again, both of their two-way players before this past week were smaller players, guards. Yeah. The Celtics signing a player from the Sacramento Kings. The Kings signed JaVale McGee, and then to give them an opportunity to find minutes elsewhere, they waived Nerlens Noel and another young player that had been playing for their Stockton uh, D-League team, what can you tell us about the newest Celtic, uh, a seven-footer, correct? Right. And I want to send my apologies for last week. I didn't name his name, Niamias Keda. He's going to be joining the Celtics on the two-way, two-way deal. Um, seven-footer, over 200 pounds. And in some of the highlights I was able to see, the young fella looks like a young Rob Williams out there. I, you know, it's, I don't like to compare too much, but from the flashes that I saw, he seemed very athletic, jumps out the gym, gets back quickly. You never know where he's coming from. And he's also pretty good offensively. He can get a midi. He can shoot, you know, around the post. Something that we want to see more from Rob Williams this year with the shots that we were able to see. Um, so I, I like the pickup. I really do. I think it's a great flyer. He looks better than Azabuki to me. Yeah, I think from a, a skill, an NBA skill. I mean, yeah. there are players in the league. In order to be in the NBA, you have to have at least one NBA skill. Uh, and Keta seems to have that, and that is rim protection. A little bit more on him. He's 24 years old. He's Portuguese, which means he might be right at home in Boston with all the Brazilian and Portuguese restaurants yes, that, that there are. Um, he's got a seven foot four inch wingspan. And at Stockton, he averaged, well, he was all D League first team last year. So he was basically the best center in the league. He was all defensive team. He averaged uh, 17 points, eight boards, and a couple blocks, more than two blocks a game. So if the Celtics have some depth issues with their bigs in terms of injuries or Rob Williams and Porzingis have a checkered injury past, they can bring this guy up and have a legitimate rim protector. And I agree, he's a better defensive player than Azubuke and, and Cobb and Gale. So the Celtics actually win out. It's weird to see the Sacramento Kings getting rid of young, promising prospects, but the Kings are also in a win-now mode. And the Celtics had a need, and they they filled it. So before we go to the break here, just to update everybody, the Celtics have 19 players. They have all three of their two-way slots filled with Scrub, Davison, and Keta, And they have 14 of their 15 guaranteed players. And they also have DJ Stewart and Taylor Funk. So they have one more Exhibit 10 guy they can bring in. I expect them to do that before... October 2nd, when players start reporting. But the roster is almost filled out, Guillermo. Yeah, solid roster. I'm excited to see some clips of training camp. Um, I mean, it's right around the corner. Kata was also second in MVP voting in the G League. I'm excited to see him now. We can't forget about Walsh. Uh, I like the young group that they have. I think these are players that can continuing to grow and play spot games, spot minutes in the 82-game season. So it should be fun. Should be exciting and uh, good times 
definitely ahead for Celtic fans as they get a chance to watch the boys in green and white. Not such good times across the road, though, in Foxborough. The Patriots off to a horrible start, and Sunday night's game, tragedy struck. When we come back, we'll discuss a horrible death at the Patriots game. Stay tuned. You're listening to Lucky's Lounge. Now, there are differing accounts of what happened at the game, and why are we talking about this? Well, it's a thing, people. It is definitely something that happens not only in NFL stadiums, but also in NBA arenas, and or could happen in NBA arenas. We're going to talk about that. But first, Dale Mooney, 53-year-old New Hampshire man, was basically seen on tape as getting punched by a Miami Dolphins fan. And sometime after that, had to go to the hospital with some sort of medical issue. He died. The autopsy is either being done or is done. And there are differing reports as to what the cause of death was, but his cause of death is under investigation. And the Dolphins fan is definitely the focus of that investigation. I've seen this too much at NFL games. Have you ever seen something like this happen before? No, thank God I've not experienced anything like this. Um, Mooney's 30-year season ticket holder for the Patriots, father of two sons. It's just a heartbreaking situation. I'm thankful that I've never seen any fighting. I've seen arguments, but nothing that you know really gets too crazy, too loud, or even physical. When things like this happen, and I've seen it happen a few times, I'll get into that here in a second, it's always somebody that was taken from us too young. Dale Mooney, this story has gone national, of course, as it should. And the New York Post did a profile on him. And apparently 15 years ago, Dale Mooney rescued a young girl off the rocks near the ocean. And she was basically, I mean, these high waves were coming and and she was in peril and Mooney risked his own life to go save her. And like you said, father of two, it's just a tragedy. Yeah. And it's always tough to think about, you know, those split decisions we have as human beings. One poor decision can cost you the rest of your life or take someone else's life, obviously. And just a sad situation. I know I can get rowdy when it comes to defending my sports team, but I don't think I've ever allowed myself to get that upset to possibly even get into a fight with someone else. Sports are evolving. I mean, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as social media. Fans uh, did not try to take selfies or humiliate others by getting videos or whatever. But I think, you know, being at a live sport event, it's not like hiding behind a keyboard. You're actually there. And sometimes fans feel like they're part of the game. The emotion of the event can, it really starts to take over and you actually do feel like you're a part of it. I mean, you and I sit there at the garden and we're like, our emotions get high. We jump up and down. We scream at the top of our lungs. But for others, when there are other fans around them, maybe fans from another team like the Dolphins at the stadium, 
uh, maybe words are exchanged. And there's just so much alcohol served at particularly NFL stadiums and parking lots that that is the X factor here. You know, that people can get completely hammered in the parking lot before the game, come in and, you know, if their team isn't doing well or maybe their team is doing well for the first time in a couple decades, I'm looking at you Dolphins fans, um, you start to feel a little big for your britches, but it can have catastrophic results. And Yeah, I know we had a situation, I believe, either last year or a couple years ago, in San Francisco with the Dodgers fan. Grew up in Southboro, but moved our family. My grandfather moved us out to the West Coast when my grandmother got tuberculosis. And so I grew up in Southern California, and there have been multiple murders at NFL stadiums out there. And I have some interesting experiences to relate about my own experiences as a Celtic fan in Southern California. And and really all to say that this could happen to any one of us. And and I guess there's a possibility that a fan with Boston ties could commit an act like this. Although I really don't see it. You know, when I've been to a Red Sox Yankees game, for instance, you know, when I've been to those games, I actually see a fair amount of mutual respect. It's, it's begrudging, it's good natured ribbing, but it's not, Hey, let's go to the parking lot. What have you seen? Yeah. I mean, I went to a game this year with a Yankee fan to see the Red Sox Yankees game. I've gone to see the Celtics with heat fans. Some of my best friends are Laker fans. So time out. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's like prerequisite for, I mean, you know, it's, I'm half kidding, but you know, when I'm looking for new people, you know, hiring for jobs, I always kind of screen them. That's a joke. But seriously, I, it'd be hard to be a, a, a good friend with a Laker fan because they're pretty insufferable. Oh, trust me. They are the most delusional fan base I've ever met. And we get into heated debates and arguments, but at the end of the day, it's all cordial. It's all... You know, like you said, casual ribbing and just to get into into under each other's skin, but nothing to where it's going to get violent, especially, again, with any stranger that you do not know in the streets. Well, yeah, I agree with you on that point. On the West Coast, it does get pretty bad. And, and if you remember, well, you might not remember, but I'm a little bit older than you, the, the 1980s, 1990s, where you had... You know, you had some NWA, you had Ice Cube, you had a lot of folks who were either gangbangers or portraying that lifestyle, Easy e and those guys. And they adopted the colors of the Los Angeles Kings and the Los Angeles Raiders. Silver and black became a gang color. And also the Dodgers and the Lakers also have a serious gang element to their fan bases. In 2003, a 25-year-old San Francisco Giants fan named Mark Allen Antonor Cruz was shot and killed in the parking lot of Dodger Stadium. In 2013, a Dodger fan, who he was shot and killed in the parking lot at the Giants ballpark by, by Giants fans, and then That was just two years after the guy that you and I are thinking of, the paramedic Brian Stowe, was beaten senseless by a couple of Dodger fans 
in the parking lot at Chavez Ravine. He went to the hospital. He was in a coma for many months. He's now alive and well, but he has to walk with a walker. He, he can't work. Uh, his life was ruined by these Dodger fans. And even in uh, San Francisco at Candlestick Park in 2011, 49er Raiders fans at a preseason game, two men were shot in the parking lot and another guy was beaten so bad in a bathroom there at the Niner Stadium that he had to be sent to the emergency room. All three of those individuals lived. But that's a three-year period there where you had three fans murdered and three or four others sent to intensive care. And I think the, the common denominator here is alcohol. The good news here, though, Guillermo, is at the Garden, I don't see, I don't see any of this. Do you? No, not at all. It's, it just shouldn't happen anywhere, whether it's in California, down south, Midwest. It shouldn't happen anywhere. Alcohol is a major part of it. I think sometimes going around and being in the NFL, it kind of calls for it with people, you know, hitting each other. So, you know, people are a little more riled up when it comes to the NFL. But like, I also don't like, you know, when you're throwing stuff on the court or at players where they're, it's Kyrie Irving and you want to throw a water bottle at him or even telling, you know, Russell Westbrook to go do something or whatever it may be explicitly. I'm okay with calling those those fans out and seeing them escorted out. It, it's just uncalled for. Like, let's be adults about these situations. Yeah, and Celtic fans are usually really good about creative chants and, and ways that you can humiliate or get under the skin of players. Now, granted, multiple times last season, we heard the chants of F this player, right? I mean, there is a lot of alcohol-fueled hatred and ire that goes to certain players and officials at times. And I agree with you. I'd rather see the creative sort of ways to, to get under people's skin. But one of the things that does is it causes people to get violent, you know, and fans can be really bad. I was at a game in Minnesota this year, the Celtics beat the Timberwolves, thank goodness. And uh, me and a buddy of mine, both Celtic fans were sitting in front of five guys who were, pretty well put together and there were five of them and they were heckling me and they were all over me because I was rooting for the Celtics and the Celtics were winning and they were just daring me. I'm surprised one of them didn't say, Hey, let's go out. Let's go out to the parking lot. They, they were trying to bait me. And of course, two on five, I'm not going to, not going to take those odds, but it's just not worth it. You know, but even though the Celtics won the game, it ruined the night for me because these guys wanted to ruin my night, you know, but I've had much worse than that in Los Angeles. If you've got a couple minutes that I will tell you about. And the third one, you're not going to believe, but it is 100% true. Again, going back to Los Angeles for a second. Again, I grew up uh, about an hour and a half South in San Diego County, but Lakers fans, there's, it's a huge fan base. It's global. As we talked about, they, the Lakers own the Philippines, they own Las Vegas, they own Hawaii, and they have bandwagon fans all over the world. And we have fans all over the world as well. But in Southern California, there's a few different types of fans. You've got the celebrity fans, you've got the wealthy business class. But up in the upper 
reaches of the house that Shaq built, uh, whatever they're calling it now, Crypto.com Center, there are blue-collar fans that love their Lakers. And there are also a lot of people who are no doubt gangbangers, okay? I was at Game 6 of the 2010 Finals, Game 6. Perk blew out his knee in the first quarter. It was one of the most traumatic games that I've ever been to. I paid $400 for a seat with my back to the arena wall. So I was I was kind of behind the basket almost. 25, 30 rows up, my back was to the wall. That's how bad my seats were, 400 bucks. I go to the bathroom in the first half, okay, in between the first and second quarter. I'm taking a leak at a urinal, and there are guys coming up to me. I'm talking, Guillermo, three, four inches from my ear, screaming at the top of their lungs, F you, Celtics suck, get the F out of here. I mean, very no loud. Way. No yes. way. I'm trying. I was tempted to just make a 90-degree turn to my left and just douse the guy and piss because I got a guy three inches from my ear screaming that at the top of his lungs. I mean, how you wonder why there are fights? It's it's things like that. Again, the odds were against me. Okay, so that was one of the things. Okay, many years earlier, back in I want to say two thousand and one. Okay, so nine years before that, my father and I, uh, my dad, who was in his sixties, early sixties, but is a guy that you don't want to mess with. Former army guy. Uh, you know, 235 pounds, construction worker dude. My daughter and I and my dad went to go see the, the Lakers and the Celtics at Staples Center. Okay, before the game, my daughter had an Antoine Walker jersey on. Antoine came over, you know, took a picture with her, said she was a princess. That's awesome. Yeah, and with 1.8 seconds left, he banks oh, in a three. Oh, yeah, I remember that game. Yeah, He banks in a three-point shot. To yep. put the Celtics up by two, I think it was. Kobe Bryant, after the timeout, hits one from the corner that everybody thought would won the game. But when Paul Pierce closed out on him, Kobe had to do a double pump to get Paul to go by him. And by the time he released the shot, the red lamp was on and the Celtics won the game. Now, I'm not going to say that I wasn't going nuts. Okay. Because it was just, <laughs> it, you know, it was Antoine Walker, my daughter's favorite player. It was Kobe Bryant hitting the shot and it didn't count. I mean, it was the most glorious game of the regular season. So I was going nuts. I was apoplectic, but these two fans were so angry about what they had just seen that one of them came up to me and he said, Hey, Holmes, you're lucky your daughter's with you right now, man, because I'd take your life right now. I mean, that's exactly what he said. And he said it in such a way that I kind of thought, this guy's not joking. Yeah. You know, again, I don't think those guys by themselves without weapons could have done anything to us. But in many of these incidents that we've seen in Los Angeles, and in San Diego, I used to be a Chargers season ticket holder, there have been stabbings. And uh, security wasn't as good back in 2001. Now, at the Garden, you can't go through without seemingly a body cavity search. I mean, there's all kinds of 
metal detectors right. and all that stuff. That wasn't really a thing as much back then. Real quick, I just want the people to know that Cap is not a small guy. Like he's a big dude. His fists are the size of my head and he has a military background. So you just never know who you're dealing with. Like you just might think, oh, this is a Joe Schmo, but you don't know that person's history and background and it could, you know, get back to bite you. Yeah, no weapons. It would have gone badly for them, mostly because of my dad. Uh, but I guarantee you they had weapons out in their car. Okay. Um, the final thing you're not going to believe a couple of years after that, I was on my way up to Staples Center. Okay. In my GMC Envoy with license plate Truth 34 with my green Celtic flags driving up to Staples Center. Obviously, the Celtics are playing the Lakers that night. Everybody knows that. And going under a highway underpass or overpass, and I hear this bam, two loud bam noises, and I see sparks on my dash, on my uh, wind, not my windshield, but on my, uh, on my hood. And I thought, okay. wow, did somebody just throw a rock at me? What, what just happened? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, didn't hit my windshield. I, you know, didn't damage the vehicle too badly. But when I pull into the parking lot, I look and sure enough, there's two decent sized little one dent and one hole. And I thought, oh man, I didn't really know what had happened. Now, granted, I'm in a marked Celtic vehicle, right? On the night that the Celtics are playing at Staples Center, on the route to the Staples Center. And I remember a couple of weeks later, somebody said, hey, what, what happened? Did somebody shot your vehicle? I said, no, I think I just, it was a rock or something. He goes, the guy that was, told me this said, no, those are bullet holes. Mm. I mean, I'm telling you, L.A. And, and the West Coast, some of these places, Oakland, Los Angeles, San Francisco Bay Area, uh, people have killed in the name of their sports team. And it's usually been these, these West Coast rivalries. But Lakers-Celtics is a very serious thing. And, you know, I have not seen any of our fans get violent towards others, but I used to see it every Sunday in the NFL. It's, this is a very serious topic. Yeah, you're making me not want to go to Staples Center. I mean, sorry, Crypto.com Arena anymore. Well, I, you know, the good thing about it is, though, when you go to these games, there are so many New England expats there. I mean, you will see easily 5,000 Celtic fans in, the, in attendance. And that's one of the things yeah. that really aggravates them. So, you know, when the game ends, you just kind of find a pocket of green and walk out with them. Makes sense. Band together, stick together, green teamers all day. Now, this is the podcast where we talk about, you know, girls we've dumped because somebody got hurt <laughs> at the game you went to or, you know, flying as I have from Japan to see one game and then flying back. I mean, the Celtics are bigger than life for us. That's why we're on this podcast. And, and I think many of you can relate, but it is just a game, people. Right. I can't believe I'm saying that. In the sense that it's not worth hurting someone or getting hurt for it. So, you know, I, that's why I don't drink. One of the reasons that I don't. And, you know, I, I just recommend to everybody out there that if you're if you're at a game 
and you have some loudmouth Sixers fan or Knicks fan nearby, it just isn't worth it. Final thoughts on this, Guillermo? Yeah, in all seriousness, this is entertainment. This is something we want to relax, watch, and see the best do, whether it's playing football, baseball, basketball, hockey, you know, singing, whatever art that you're seeing, you know, that's somebody's time and dedication they created to craft what you enjoy seeing. And it's not great to take any of that for granted at the end of the day. No. And the person that you are staring at uh, down the row that has a different colored jersey than you, just remember, they have children, they have a mom, they have a sister. Um, They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you. Even Laker fans. Speaking of Laker fans, winning time? Well, they're not going to have a third season. We'll discuss that and the debate, which is starting here on Lucky's Lounge. Would the Jays and Kristaps Porzingis be able to beat the big three, Pierce, Garnett, and Allen? We'll have that question as well when we come back on Lucky's Lounge. Don't go away. We're back, and Guillermo Lucky's List is always a very long segment, so let's get right into it. Yesterday was a big day for the Celtics. They tweeted out about happy birthday to the patriarch, none other than Red Auerbach, September 20th, the birthday of the father of the Celtics. Uh, Always a great day. Always a great day to celebrate Red. Um, He's smoking those cigars in heaven. Appreciate you for what you did for this organization. He is, he is the Celtics organization, always will be. It's funny, uh, I don't know either of my parents' birthdays, but I know Red Auerbach, September 20th, and Ronald Reagan, February 6th. Uh, <laughs> apologies to, to mom and dad. I do know my wife's birthday and my kids, but um, Red Auerbach, such a big figure for the Celtics. And speaking of cigars, I, I have to think up at that Boston Garden in the sky, Red was lighting one off to celebrate the demise of the horrible HBO show Winning Time, which I didn't even really bother watching. Uh, Guillermo, please tell me you you do you did not watch this show, which was just canceled last night after, after season two. I did watch this show. I watched season one. I haven't watched season two yet. I'm excited for them to end on the Celtics winning a championship for a Los Angeles Fakers show. I it was intriguing to me. I didn't get to live, you know, those years and experience those times. I would have loved it to be more Celtic centric and maybe talk about those teams, Larry's teams, but I would also love an 08 to 2010, you know, maybe short little three seasons talking about those Celtics versus Lakers rivalry too. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me being from Southern California and having to grow up with all these insufferable Laker fans. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I love some of the actors. It did have a great cast and yeah. an uncanny cast in terms of people who really looked like Irvin Johnson and Larry Joe Bird. I mean, the, the casting was really good. I believe that the first season was a Laker championship and this this final yeah. season was a Celtic championship. Now, apparently HBO has shot a an ending. They knew that the season probably wasn't going to survive to a third. So they shot an alternate ending 
that uh, basically kind of shows how it ended up, how all of the players and, and teams ended up. And I guess, you know, that's because the people who made the show are obviously Laker homers. But I did see on Twitter an excerpt of a scene where Jerry Buss and Red Auerbach are trying to pump their respective teams up before a meeting. And it was, I mean, Michael Chiklis plays Red Auerbach and it was just, it was horrible. It didn't sound like Red Auerbach. It didn't look like Red Auerbach. And John Riley played Jerry Buss. He did sort of look like him, but it's, I mean, Jerry Buss was such a creep, a great owner. I mean, you know, great owner. He, he really <laughs> pushed the Lakers. He bought the Lakers from Jack Kent Cook, the former Redskins owner, and he and he elevated them up. But just in his personal life, he seemed like kind of a creep. And I, I just couldn't watch the show. And apparently not a lot of other people could either, because even in Los Angeles, nobody was watching. And so this thing died a, a fairly quick death. Two seasons is all they got. Yeah, I think the writer's strike in L.A. also has something to do with it. It's, again, it's enjoyable, enjoyable to me. I'm excited to watch the second season and have the Celtics win. So I, I'm definitely tuning in for the second season. And good luck to all those actors. It was a great a great cast, like you said. I did see an image of the, the actor that plays said Maxwell with two Oh yeah, you know, and the Reggie Miller sort of two hands around his throat for the tragic Johnson missing the free throws. Um, so I guess there's some some joy that can be had in that, but I don't want you know me clicking on something, putting money in a Lakers fan pocket, and you know the <laughs> critics have spoken, and uh, and this thing is is uh, is dead, thankfully. All right, let's go to our next item here. NBA 2K24, it's out. Actually, I don't have it yet, Guillermo. I, I think you're playing it right now. But they did a simulation of what would happen if a, you know, basically with the player ratings that we've discussed uh, and they played a full season, who, who wins under the current NBA 2K rating system? All right. So a gentleman on fan sided by the name of Brian Morris did this season simulation uh, for 2K. And he had Tatum in the MVP voting. He came up um, as a top five candidate for the MVP. Uh, and then the two teams he had making it to the NBA Finals were the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> wow. This is a 2K sim, right? This is correct. That, that is interesting. They must have had the injury button turned off on that one uh, because as our luck is, you know, something will happen there. Or the Lakers, I mean, obviously health is so critical for them. There's been so much talk about the Lakers because of, you know, they just extended Jared Vanderbilt for four years and they're having a seemingly great offseason and the resurgence of Anthony Davis. They were in the Western Conference Finals after a horrible start last year. And the Celtics, the odds makers still have them atop the East. I mean, I guess it's conceivable, Guillermo. It definitely is. Uh, he, they had the Celtics coming up uh, with 59 wins and sweeping the L.A. Lakers in the NBA Finals. Wow. From from 2K's lips to God, God's ears, let's hope that uh, the Celtics can have success similar to the way this simulation played out. And I imagine that 
all sorts of simulations are being played out in, in analytic offices all around the NBA. And uh, Celtics obviously feel pretty good about their roster. I think the Lakers do as well, and so do the Nuggets. So uh, we will have to see what happens. We do have a few items around the NBA. We'll do a little rapid fire. There's a few Eastern Conference teams that have some serious problems or additions to their roster. But first, you and I last week were talking about what are we going to talk about next week on Lucky's List? And you came up with the suggestion, hey, this team looks pretty good. Could this current version with the Jays coming into their primes, could they defeat the 2008 Boston Celtics? And uh, for those of you who are listening, please feel free to chime in. You can email us at luckysloungepod at gmail.com or slide into the DMs at luckysloungepod. What do you guys think? Guillermo, what do you think? Uh, so I wanted to do a, a position by position breakdown with you. Um, another great article here by Brian Morris on Fansided. Uh, so point guard Rajon Rondo versus Derek White, both number nine. So in the 08 season, Rondo had 10 points, four rebounds, five assists. And last year, White had 12 points, three rebounds, and almost four assists. Well, I think Derek White in the 2023 version is better than rookie Rajon Rondo. Rondo was a second-year player, actually, I think, at that time. Yes, he was right. a second-year. Yeah. He was a second-year guy. But as we saw in game six of the finals and that absolute destruction of the Lakers, but really playoff Rondo was mm. another level. And, and you know, credit to Derek White because we saw against Miami, he also found another gear at times in the playoffs. I'm going to say toss up there. But okay. the thing is, the thing is, though, that as great of a defensive player as Derek White is, and I believe he is potential to be first team all defense Rondo as a playmaker was far superior. And I mean, there's something to be said for that, but I'll say toss up there. I'm going to go Rondo there. I'm going to go Rondo there. I think just like you said, better playmaker, somebody who we talked about was playing against the coaches and not the players. And he probably wasn't doing that. Like we said, his second year in the career and in his in the league, but it's somebody who was a cerebral assassin when it came to basketball. Uh, so next we have Ray Allen versus Jalen Brown. Ray Allen Ray. in the 08. <laughs> Ray. Sorry. Okay. Ray. That, okay. That's fine. We can we can both go with Ray and continue <laughs> on. That's fine. I think and, and, and Jalen Brown is a great player, right? Yes. Like, we're yes. talking about Ray Allen here. Okay, the next one is pretty spicy. Paul Pierce, the truth, versus Jason Tatum. Paul Pierce. Mm. Paul Pierce in 08 season averaged 19.6, five rebounds, four and a half assists. Last year, Tatum averaged 30 points, 8.8 .8 rebounds, 4.6 assists. So, you know, if you, if you look at their games, yeah. right, just on the eye test alone, Tatum wins. Mm -hmm. Statistically, Tatum wins. Although, I will say the 2023 NBA officiating was a little bit different than the 2008 officiating. I think you could add some extra points to the figures of Pierce and Allen in particular. Sure. But 
Yeah, I mean, I think from the eye test, you would say Tatum. But the thing is, one thing that we saw with Pierce that season and throughout his career, whether it was the Game 7 against Cleveland where he outdueled LeBron James, whether it was complete domination and that led to him getting the Finals MVP, when the game was on the line, Paul was – he was – arguably the most clutch player in the league. And we've talked about this statistically mm-hmm. in the clutch better than J- Dwayne Wade, better than many other stars in the league. Tatum has had his clutch moments, but I think it's funny that we're talking about this right now with the 2008 thing, because I think Tony Allen was interviewed recently mm-hmm. and they were talking about Jason Tatum and how great he could be. And obviously Tatum knows about Pierce's greatness. It's no coincidence that he's working out with Paul right now. He's right. trying to get he's trying to get some of that assassin from Pierce. Because that's what Pierce was. And so Tony Allen said he had a next level. When when Paul had the ball in those situations, when he got that look in his eye, one of three things was going to happen. TA said. He said we knew he was either going to get fouled, he was either going to make the shot or he was going to get somebody else the shot. And Tatum's not there yet. I mean, for one thing, he doesn't get fouled nearly enough. He sometimes settles for bad shots. And they don't call it for him as well a lot as a 6'8 guy who should be finishing at the rim. And we've seen him argue with refs, and maybe that has also gone against him as well. Yeah. No, true. But Pierce, as recently as like 2004, he had a... He was a pariah with the refs and everything else. I mean, he, in the Indiana series, after they lost, he pulled some hijinks after the game, wearing a bandage on his face and whining about refs. <laughs> he was considered a crybaby. You know, I mean, the Celtics have never really had a good reputation with referees. Nope. Nope. But I, I'm going to have to go Pierce because I think I trusted him more in these kind of games. And, and Jason Tatum... As we saw in the Philadelphia game where he hit those four threes in a row in the fourth. I mean, he's a very clutch player, but Paul is the truth. Maybe it's my my bias being a you know Generation X guy instead of uh, the current generation. Now, I will say this. We haven't even seen, we haven't even scratched the surface of how good Jason Tatum can become. When it's all said and done, if he continues on this trajectory, there won't be a conversation. But if we're talking about 2008, I'm going to go Paul. Okay. I love, I love all those arguments, but I'm going to ride with Tatum. I think he is going to bring it this season. We've seen him constantly working out to be the best Tatum he can be this year. And with the roster construction that we'll continue to go through, I think he's going to really shine out and, and show his potential this year. Um, I mean, all three of these, I think we've differed on two of them, but all three of them have been pretty close. Yes. Yes, I would agree. You know, these are not like hands down, right? They've been pretty close. Yeah. I mean, you pushed on the first one. I went Rondo. We both went Allen, no discussion there. Sorry, Jalen Brown. And then we're 1-1 with, I guess, uh, Tatum and Pierce. So the next one, Garnett versus Porzingis. Garnett. Okay. Okay. Why? Uh, well, I, I don't, why? <laughs> <laughs> 
First of all, in 2008, Kevin Garnett was the MVP. Okay. I mean, all of the sycophantic fanboy, you know, idiots gave it, gave Kobe Bryant the lifetime achievement award. But Kevin Garnett went from a team that had lost like something like 17 games in a row the year before, completely changed the culture. I'm just, I think they won. I'm trying to remember how many, I think they won like 62 games or something like that. I, I have to look that up the 2008 win, win and loss record, but Garnett was everything. He was the one who single-handedly changed the culture. He held everybody accountable, including Pierce and Allen, got them all on the same sheet of music. He was dominant throughout the run defensively. He was the defensive player of the year. 66 games. 66 games. 66 wins. Yeah, that's unbelievable. They had a 19-game winning streak. You remember that? Yeah, I do. And they won their first eight. Uh, I was at the first game. I think it was against the Wizards. And I just said, holy mackerel, we're going to do this. Um, and that was my first year being a season ticket holder because when, oh, we, nice. when we traded for Ray yeah. Allen, because I love Ray Allen, or I did. He's dead to me now, but I, I did love him <laughs> back then. When we got Ray Allen for Wally Zerbiak to Lante West, I said, hey, I'm getting season tickets. Yeah, I had just made lieutenant. I had a little bit of lieutenant money. You know, I decided to get those tickets, but um, I've had them since 2007, and, and it's because of Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. It's – it's hands down to me, Garnett. And Porzingis is a is a solid NBA player, former All-Star, has a chance to be really good this year. But you're talking about one of the greatest power forwards of all time. And in 2008, he was right in that sweet spot. Yeah, I just wanted to bait you with that. It's the same like with Ray Allen. I think it's definitely Garnett. Um, I think that guy brought something that, I didn't see in basketball, and I love to try to emulate when I'm on the court. I just try to turn into someone else and be vocal and yell at myself and pound my chest and sweat until I can't sweat anymore. Like That guy is a grinder. I love the energy and passion he has on the basketball court. And I also loved... You know, the opposite. I loved, you know, Tim Duncan, who would just be quiet and be fundamental and shoot it off the backboard. So I loved that, you know, fire and ice type of players. But definitely Garnett, he definitely just pushed us to the top. I mean, the gap between Garnett and Porzingis is like 10 times bigger than the the Brown-Allen gap. And that's not, that's not a knock on Porzingis. I mean, yeah. Garnett was generational and he was possessed he may have had an inner demon there are some players who are out there and they have all the skills in the world garnett is not one of those guys he was very skilled but what he had is what guys like russell and bird had which is an absolute drive yeah to win at all costs and and that changed the celtics and for five years the first five seasons that Kevin Garnett wore a Celtics jersey, they were the best team in the NBA. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, next one, Perkins versus Rob Williams. Oh, so man. Perk, Perk averaged uh, 6.9 points, 6.1 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 
a block and a half, and 61% from field goal range. And then last year, Rob averaged eight points, 8.3 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 1.4 blocks, and 74.7 at the field goal. Well, I'm going to have to (laughs) – apologies to Rob. I'm going to have to go with Perk. Wow. And and the reason is, as Doc Rivers likes to say – the number one ability is availability. How many mm. games did Rob Williams play last year? I, I will look that up. I'm not sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna say 35. Okay, okay. less than half. Okay. And so Big Perk was a fixture. There's no question who the more gifted player is. It's Rob Williams. Correct. But Perk was a fixture. I'll tell you what, there's something about the Celtics when you went into the garden. Back in those days, it wasn't just that, you know, when the when the buzzer sounded, you'd look up at the scoreboard and you had fewer points than the Celtics. It was that you went in there and you felt like you might get your ass kicked. Mm. I mean, the intimidation of Kevin Garnett and Kendrick Perkins, Kendrick Perkins could set a pick that you would feel for like a week. And you didn't mess with guys on the Celtics because big perk, you know, big old Beaumont. You know, Texas country boy Perk, you did not want to tussle with him. I mean, the Celtics were, they walked the walk and they talked the talk. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, Rob Williams only played 35 games last year. You called it on that one. He does have that athletic ability that, you know, one would want, but you you got that one. He uh, You got to be available. Perk played 78 games in that 08 season, and uh, we definitely needed him when it came to those big games to be that defensive anchor. So if Rob can even get close to 70-plus games, um, that'd be tremendous for the team. And, yeah, I guess Perk won that one. So overall, I guess we got the 08 Celtics uh, dominating the current Celtics. And I I just think, you know, in terms of – talent on paper and just the eye test, you might say that the Jays and Porzingis would be, would get the nod, but in terms of the fire and the grit and the, just the winning nature of the team. I mean, this team, this team has folded the last two seasons. I, I believe that the addition of Porzingis and the maturity of Brown and Tatum could be very intriguing and we could see better results, but the 08 Celtics, they just laid waste to the entire NBA, including the Lakers. And uh, I I just think it's hands down, uh, no contest. Well, let's go around the league. I think there's a few things we want to talk about here, Guillermo, in the Eastern conference that is very interesting. And we'll start with a report out of Indiana. Uh, It's being reported tonight that Buddy Heald, is about to be traded by the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers and Buddy Heald failed to come up with a terms terms on an extension for his contract that were agreeable to both sides. So the Pacers are now committed to trying to find Buddy Heald a new home. And Guillermo, given his shooting splits, I think they're going to have a lot of suitors for him as he is in the last year of his contract. Yeah, it all depends on what he's demanding for this next contract, but... I wouldn't mind him being green. I think we have 
some pieces to be able to make a trade with Indiana and have him be here with Brissett, a former teammate of his. But uh, I know the Lakers have always been rumored to want him to join LeBron in that team. Uh, it'll be interesting where he may land because he's a solid shooter and a solid bucket getter. I think the Lakers are one of the teams that will be able to get him. And I don't know when they're able to trade some of these other players. I mean, Vanderbilt, who they just signed to a team-friendly four-year extension. Some of these other players that they they re-up. D'Angelo Russell is another guy that could be traded. I don't know. But it, it could work where Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald switched teams somehow. There'd be other players involved. What are your thoughts on that? That's a tough one. I like what Brogdon brings to this team. He was already the sixth man last year. He's played with this team. And it's going to be different having Porzingis and maybe he doesn't get as many opportunities to score as he did coming off the bench last season. I know we had that trade dilemma and him not going to the Clippers. So at the end of the day, I prefer Brogdon over Heald. But if he's not committed to being on this team anymore, then, you know, let's bring in Heald. Yeah, that's a big that's a big if. But if he isn't, well, then you get whatever you can for him. And getting a guy yeah. who is a one of the best shooters in the entire NBA and a volume three-point shooter, a high-volume, high-efficiency floor stretcher who, oh, by the way, is very, very durable. And Malcolm Brogdon... You know, his health is, is sort of in question. So that is intriguing, but he will have no shortage of suitors. I could see Miami. I could see the Lakers. I could see the Knicks. I mean, who knows who would, might get involved, but Buddy Heald likely not to be an Indiana Pacer when 2024 rolls around. Let's go to Kelly Oubre. It was rumored that Miami was keeping a roster spot open for Kelly Oubre after they acquired Damian Lillard, but he didn't last that long. Where'd he end up? He ended up joining the Philadelphia 76ers on a one-year deal. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Kelly Oubre sees, you know, when you're in a situation like Kelly Oubre, where it's late September, you don't have a job, you're pretty much getting the minimum at that point. Well, it's not just about winning, and I'm not certain Kelly Oubre even cares about that. What it's about is what situation is going to get me the most touches and the most opportunity to get my next big deal. And that could be Philadelphia, Guillermo, because depending on how this Harden thing shakes out, Tsunami Poppy could be getting a lot of touches in Philadelphia. Oh, and that's what he loves. He loves to put up shots. He loves to uh, show his athletic ability and, and do some crazy dunks. I'm glad he went there. I think it's already a cluster with the whole Reed resigning and Harden wanting out and not knowing whether to keep or trade Maxi and then Embiid, you know, at some point wanting to win. I'm happy he just adds to that tornado in Philadelphia. Yeah, it definitely could help push Embiid out the door, having another volatile personality there. Uh, but one note from history about Kelly Oubre Jr. Once in a game, he came off the bench, off the bench, mind you, and launched 15 three-pointers off the bench, <laughs> and he made 10 of them. Yeah. So Philadelphia is not getting a bum. I mean, Kelly Oubre, 
he he can be a three and D guy. Uh, for what Philly has right now and their problems, I think it's a good signing for them. Finally, uh, tonight, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Milwaukee Bucks. Lots being said about Giannis Antetokounmpo in some recent interviews where he has said, essentially, it's not a given that I would stay in Milwaukee. I don't want to retire after 20 years with only one championship. People are reading into this. I've seen some people writing that the Bucks should even consider trading him. Obviously, Chris Middleton is on the downside of his career, and Drew Holiday, I think, is coming up on his last season. He has a player option next year for an insane amount of money, which he'll probably take. The Bucks don't have a lot of ways to build around Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they don't have a lot of draft picks either. This could be really bad for Milwaukee, and it could be really good for a team like, I hate to say it, the Lakers or the Knicks. Yeah, it's interesting to see the... Somewhat of a downfall this team has started to take. Um, we see all their, you know, role players are over 30. Not role players, but play, players who make a big contribution to that team as far as Lopez and um, Bobby Portis is aging up there. And again, like you mentioned, Holiday and uh, Middleton. So he wants to be, I think he wants to be in a large market. I think... Yes, he's getting his endorsements and his face everywhere, but he wants to be part of something bigger. And he already brought the championship to Milwaukee. I think he ends up leaving them to be in a different market at some point. Well, the Bucks will have to trade him then because you're not going to let him leave a la Kevin Durant or you know, just go somewhere and get nothing in return. If it becomes apparent that he's leaving and he doesn't sign an extension, you know, or he wasn't going to sign an extension this offseason because he could only get a four-year deal. So, you know, these players are going to sign deals that are favorable to them so that they can continue to earn. But Milwaukee will have to, they're not just going to go into a season and go, oh, well, at the end of the year, he might leave, but we think he'll come back. They cannot do that. The franchise cannot afford to do that. So, if it becomes apparent that they don't have a deal with him, you will see the Greek freak moved on to another team to the highest bidder, whether that's after next season or before the trading deadline in 2025. And that I think that would be a tragedy for the league, but it would certainly be great for some big market team. And by the way, that big market team could be Boston because in a year they will be able to trade the two guys that they cannot trade right now. I'm talking about Brown and Porzingis. Yeah, it could be Boston. I seen a lot of ties to where, you know, he's dapping up Joe Mazzula. He takes pictures with, you know, Porzingis overseas. He takes pictures with uh, Brogdon, who is a former teammate of his. So I can see the ties of him, you know, having some of the current Celtic ties. I wouldn't mind Giannis joining the Celtics. It would be interesting to see what we would have to give up for him. And I think they should ask for anything and everything to make sure they solidify their team for the future as well. You know, the Lakers and the Knicks have already tried to ingratiate themselves with Giannis by signing you know, each of his brothers to, to play for them and to be a bench ornament on their team. The Bucks also have had... And on Ted Acumpo, brother, I think the Celtics should start looking into 
whether he has any sisters, uh, maybe signing his parents to a front office job or something like that, whatever it takes, because Giannis as a defensive player alone would put the Celtics into the stratosphere. But certainly I think the Knicks probably would be a place that he would want to go to if he wasn't staying in Milwaukee. And the Knicks to me just seem poised like they're getting ready to get somebody, whether that's Donovan Mitchell finally coming home to New York or Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I hate to end the show on that note. What else do we have? We don't have anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Guillermo, we're only 12 days away from training camp. I mean, that's the real good news story. I think that's the best way to end this show today, everybody. We are less than two weeks away from having training camp previews and not much longer than that, we'll have Celtic basketball in the preseason. Final thoughts for this episode? Thank you for the support. Thank you for everyone worldwide. We truly appreciate everyone listening and sharing. And be safe out there. And all of Celtic Nation, please say a prayer tonight for the family of Dale Mooney, his children and, and his loved ones. We are with you and God bless you. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next week on another edition of Lucky's Lounge. Have a great week.